chapter 4. If you're joining us for the first time today or first time in a while, we're in a study in the book of Ephesians. As you're turning there, you know, I was thinking this past week, uh, Kenny Rogers, the country singer who passed away in 2020, arguably could be called one of the great, greatest ballad singers in the last 50 years. Um, one of my favorite songs that he has sung uh, is not one of his more popular songs. In fact, it was written by four men and was first performed by a lady named Juice Newton, who was popular in the 1980s. However, in 1987, Kenny Rogers made that song his own. It was called 20 Years Ago. And in the song, a man is reminiscing about his childhood and his teenage years growing up in a small town. And in, if you see the video of it, he's going back in time and reliving those days of Friday nights going to the local movie theater, but now, 20 years later, it's vacated, of Saturday mornings hanging out at the soda shop at uh, the local drugstore, but going back now, 20 years later, and not knowing any of the people, losing a dear friend with whom he was very close, who lost his life in war, but basically in that song, Kenny Rogers is going back in time and desiring for life as it had been. And one of the verses of the song says this, all the memories from those days come gather round me, what I'd give if they could take me back in time. You know, many of us enjoy reminiscing about past days. Sometimes when I get with my old friends, I think I bore Karen to death as we share uh, fun stories, whether they be from my high school years, my times at Hampton, Sydney, or seminary. And it's good in many ways to, to relive the memories of those days. Paul himself reminisced. Paul went back to times earlier in his life, experiences that he had with the church and he rejoiced over those times. However, there was one thing that Paul did not enjoy reminiscing. One thing that Paul did not enjoy reverting back to. And that was the time before he came to know Jesus Christ. And he makes it very clear in our text today. And also in other parts of scripture. That when we come to know Christ. We should not long for or yearn for the things that do not mark the Christian life. We shouldn't desire the things that describe our life before coming to know Jesus. With that in mind, look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. I want to look beginning at verse 17. Paul writes, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds 
and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. Let us pray. Father, as we look to your word today, for those of us who are in you, who have placed our faith in you, we thank you and rejoice in the life, Lord, that we live. Father, we know that while we have that eternal security through the price of Christ on the cross, that, Lord, you call us daily to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow you. And, Lord, we know that there are temptations that come about that would lead us to revert back to times when we did not walk with you. Father, Paul gives these words because that is a reality that we'll face it. But, Father, just place around our minds and our hearts in camp a century, Lord, that we might be protected, that we might be protected from the things that would pull us down to characterize the world. And, Father, we just lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we've been looking in Ephesians, we really talked a couple of weeks ago how the look and study of this is divided into two parts. In the first three chapters, it really is filled with doctrine. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, we noted how uh, Paul con concludes the letter in these last three chapters by practical application. So it's like in the first three chapters, this is what it is. And in the last three chapters, now here is what you're to do about it. And so Paul is talking about and he's contrasting the life of knowing Christ with the life of not knowing Christ. He's contrasting the life of the believer with the life of the Gentile. And there can't be really any merging of that. And so basically what he's telling us in this, uh, these few verses that we're looking at today, he's saying, build on your new life. Build on the foundation of Christ as you separate yourself from your old way of life. You can't move forward in the faith by looking behind. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the characteristics of the unregenerate life, the unbelieving life, and how Paul calls us to leave such things behind and to move forward in spiritual growth. Now for the church there, uh, many of these individuals were recent converts, so it may well have been that much of their adult life had been lived apart from Christ. Uh, I, I, many of them probably were not childhood converts, but there was a significant change in their life. God had saved them. They were new creations. And Paul is saying here, live as you're called. Don't revert to those things of the previous life. Now, we talk about unregenerate life. You say, well, that's a $5 word. An unregenerate life is a life that has not experienced the life of Christ. It's an existence. It's a physical life void of a spiritual life. And so once a person trusts in Christ, not only is that person living and breathing and walking and talking, but he or she has the very life of God in him and in her. And so as we look over these next two or three weeks at, at this subject that Paul is talking about, and he's going to be describing the characteristics of the unbelieving or the unregenerate life, we're going to understand that where he is speaking is in regard to this, not just a mere external observance, but actually 
an observance and obedience that comes from the heart. I, I, I laughed at an illustration shared not too long ago, or I read about a little child that was being punished and was told to sit down in the corner. And the child went and sat in the corner, and the mother said, now what do you think about it? He says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You see, the Christian life issues forth from the heart, and we'll see also from the mind. I think this truth is conveyed in a statement by Augustine of Hippo, which he said, it is not the uncleanness of meat that I fear, but the uncleanness of an incontinent appetite. He wasn't focused on the outward object. He was focused on the appetite, the desire of his heart. And the point is that as Christians, God desires that we live our lives in heartfelt obedience to him. Today, as we begin really a, a smaller study within this broader study of Ephesians, I want to look today at four general characteristics of the unbelieving life. Now, next week, we're going to look more at specific things. Anger is marked by the unbelieving life, a lack of self-control, um, coarse talk and that. We're going to look at some specific things, but today we're going to look at how Paul in general characterizes the unbelieving life in four areas and then after that, we're going to see the, the mandate or the command that he has for the believers to leave behind such traits and to live obediently for Christ. Well, first, the characteristics of the unregenerate life. And the first thing we see is that the unbelieving life is a life that is dominated or marked by ignorance. In his first general description of what it means to be an unbeliever. And the Gentiles there speak to people who were not of the faith in this context. The first thing he says is that it is a life of ignorance. Now, ignorance is not equated with stupidity. Ignorance has to do with not knowing something, not being aware. Someone could be intellectually very smart, yet be ignorant in a particular field. And so what he is speaking about is for the person who has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that individual is unaware of, ignorant of the truth of God. In Ephesians 2.12, we, we looked just before Christmas that Paul is describing unbelievers. And he says that they were foreigners to the covenants. Remember, we talked about plural, to the promises of God. They were not aware of the promises. They were not in a relationship with God. Now, we're going to look at it today, but sometimes when we work with or we see someone who's an unbeliever and they're acting in a particular way, we may rightly say they just do not know. They don't understand. And we're going to see for them personally, that's not an excuse, but it is an explanation. Because such an all-knowing way of life, he tells us here in verse 17, that it is, leads to a futility of their thoughts, a uselessness. That they're living their lives not looking up toward the Lord, not looking forward toward rewards, not looking in the present toward obedience, but they are living moment by moment 
for themselves in the futility of their thoughts. But Paul says that doesn't describe the Ephesian believers. In fact, in chapter 3 and verse 4, he said that God remedied their ignorance by revealing to them the mystery of Christ. You remember we talked about mystery. That's not some Rubik's Cube. It is actually something that had what? Formerly not been known, yet now had been revealed. They had moved from a state of not knowing of the mystery to being aware of it. And so basically here he's saying live uh, uh, Ephesians in accordance with, consistently with, the knowledge that you have because the Ephesians who did not know Christ, who were around them, they were darkened in their understanding. Now, you know, when someone is darkened in their understanding, it's not really the active voice, it's the passive voice. And so we think, well, it's done to them. They bear no responsibility, but that's wrong. Look with me at Romans chapter 1. We see the responsibility We can't just say, I don't know, it's not my fault. In verse 20, the scripture says, For God's invisible traits, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse, even those who are ignorant of him. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless. And notice, their senseless hearts were darkened. So we see that the darkening, while it is in a passive voice here in Romans 1, but also in Ephesians chapter 4, we see that that doesn't give them immunity, that actually their callousness led to that. And and, and so we see here uh, that the unbelieving life is a life marked by ignorance of spiritual things of God. And in contrast to that, the believing life is a life that is aware of the presence of God, the teachings of God, the power of God. I wonder today, as a believer, are you living in accordance with the knowledge you have? But then we see a second attribute that is closely related to the first. The unbelieving life is a life that is marked by hardness of heart. Um, Now, these two go together, ignorance and hardness of heart, because really back in Romans chapter 1, in two verses right before where we begin, it says God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness, of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so what he is saying here is that the reason people are ignorant is because of the hardness of their heart. They have suppressed the truth. There were places where Jesus was not allowed to work because of unbelief, that people would not receive him. And so the picture here in Romans 1.18 is that of holding back, of resisting, of obstructing the truth. Maybe the most famous or infamous illustration, however you want to say it, found in the Bible about this personal responsibility along with the hardness and ignorance coming upon someone is that of Pharaoh in Moses' day. 
you remember Pharaoh continued to reject God. God was doing works. He saw him. He couldn't deny the works. He had, in a way, a knowledge of the works, but he did not have a belief in God. And so in consecutive plagues, I believe it was four, five, and six, we see Pharaoh's heart hard. And we see it described in three different ways. In Exodus 8, 32, Pharaoh hardened his heart. In 9, 7, Pharaoh's heart was hard. And then in 9, 12, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Lord, uh, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, which is true, yes. Both are true. In the New Testament, Jesus had a strong rebuke for the people of Capernaum. And in Matthew 11, seeing God's work, they hardened their hearts to him. And Jesus said this in, in just a little saying, a, a little pithy saying. He said, we played the flute for you. You didn't dance. We sang a lament. You didn't mourn. What is he saying there? They were unmoved. We played the song, you didn't dance. We, we played a lament and you didn't mourn. You're hardened. Well, what was God's response? He said, it'll be more bearable for Sodom than it'll be for you in the judgment. One of the distinct characteristics of a believing life is one that is softened to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, not resistant like many in Jesus' day. I wonder today, what is God saying to you? Maybe he's speaking to you about a responsibility in the faith you need to take on. Maybe God's speaking to you about a relationship of ministry. Don't harden your heart. That characterizes the unbelieving life. I wonder today, are you pliable? Are you obedient? But then there's a third attribute. Not only is the unbelieving life, a life marked by ignorance, a life marked by hardness of heart, but it is a lifeless existence. Now, this sounds like a contradiction, a life without life. But it is a fact that a person can be breathing, can talk, can snore, can walk, yet still have no life. Paul says about the unbelievers, they are excluded from the life of God. That's what he says there in verse 18. Such individuals have become callous. They've given themselves over to promiscuity with a desire for more and more. But before that, he says that they have been darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, excluded. Now notice he qualifies life there, not physical life, but the life of God, spiritual life. There are many people, and you may be one, that are walking around spiritually dead. You don't realize it yet. There may not be evidence of it yet, but it's true. Um, I think about my dad quite often. Right now we have an artificial tree for Christmas, but one thing I used to enjoy doing with my dad was cutting uh, cedar trees when we had live trees when the children were young. And one day we cut a tree in Evergreen and we were driving back on 460 and we didn't have it tied down enough. It flew off the back of the pickup and we had to go cut another one. I can tell you within about two houses where it was, 
and it wasn't far from where Bobby and Joanne used to live, uh, right there on 460. And um, but you know, you cut a Christmas tree, and it looks green and nice, doesn't it? But what's the truth of the matter is this: it's been cut off from the source of life. It may look like it has life, but it's excluded from the roots. There are many people walking here today in this world who are walking dead. They're not alive. They may give the appearance of life. There may be physical life, but over time the truth will be revealed that they're cut off from the life of God. The book of Revelation twice speaks of a second death, not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. In fact, it tells us in John chapter 3 that if you don't believe, you're condemned already. You're already in a state of decay that accompanies unbelief. And so uh, the life of the unbeliever is truly a lifeless existence. Well, in contrast to that, if you're a believer, people should see the life of Jesus in you. They should see something different. And if not, we're being a poor advertisement for the Lord. Basically, what Paul is telling the church here is be who you are. If you're alive, don't revert back to playing dead, living the life that God has given you. But then a fourth thing, it's a life marked by discontentment. We see that in verse 19. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity. That can be sexual misconduct, immorality. It also deals with sensual living, living like animals driven by desires for the practice of what? Every kind of impurity. And then he says, with a desire for more and more. In other words, desire that cannot be satiated. Desire that cannot be satisfied. And so the unbelieving life is a life that is looking for more and more to fulfill personal pleasure. That is not the life that God has called us to. In fact, in, in verse 2, we see, uh, uh, rather in chapter 2, Paul speaks of being dead in the sin, separated from the Lord and the things that would characterize that. So we see the unregenerate life is marked by ignorance, hardness of heart, lifeless existence, and discontentment. And what Paul is saying here is that what is what some of you were. Probably recently had been, but you're not that way. So we see that Paul gives them really direction and counsel in the latter part of our text today, verses 20 through 24. We, we see Paul's command to put on the new life. After describing the traits of unbelievers that they would know, Paul says in verse 20, but that's not how you came to know Christ. This may describe them. It doesn't describe you. You, although they're ignorant, you have the knowledge of Christ. Although they are hardened, you, you're called to be softened to the prodding of the Holy Spirit. Although... Uh, they have a lifeless existence. You have the life of God in you. And while they live a life uncontrolled, focused on self and sensual desires, you're a life that is marked by contentment and self-control. So what he's saying is now that you're a Christian, live like it. I wonder today, are you living like a believer or in your own privacy or in your own 
public life are you living in contradiction to what you've been called? Paul says, now that you know Jesus, and then he adds in verse 21, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him. Your translation may say, if you heard. If means since. Sometimes we say uh, if and we mean since. Like, if you're so tough, then stand here. That would mean since you think you're so tough, stand here. And so what he's saying here is, is since you have heard about him, live differently. I was reading the notes on this portion from my study Bible, and I, I like what the commentator said. He said this, the practical paradox of the Christian life is that while we have freedom from sin's eternal penalty, freedom from the former way of life, a life of sin, comes only through our daily quest for obedience and purity, and that's true. In other words, although you're saved and you're justified at the point of believing and you're saved from the present and future eternal consequences of sin, you're not freed at that moment from the power of sin. That comes by sanctification day by day, dying to self, believing on the Lord. And as Christians, we are to aspire to live a godly life. Paul uses a clothing analogy here. In verse 22, he says, take off your former way of life as we would remove dirty clothes, replacing them with better attire before attending to something important. So we're to put off what is unacceptable so that we might put on what is acceptable and fitting for God. And he adds that the former life that we're to cast off is being corrupted by deceitful desires. And that word corrupted it carries the idea of a continual corruption becoming worse and worse, more and more degraded. So the point is this, the unsaved person has no control over that in himself or herself. The unbelieving life moves toward further and further degradation, further and further self-absorption. But as Christians, that's not to characterize us. We have a choice. We can reject the old life filled by desires that are self-centered and replace those with righteousness and with truth. In verse 23, he goes on and repeats a thought that we are very familiar with in Romans 12 too. He says, not only are you to put off the old self, but you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. How one thinks closely is closely related to how one acts. Have you ever been around a negative person? And when you're around that negative person, you just feel bad. There's no other way to say it. And what happens is that negativity grows to be more and more negative. And so it gets to the point where, where you see that person at the supermarket or wherever, you immediately know something negative is going to come out. They need a renewal of the mind. You see, the mind affects the conduct. The mind affects the language. The mind is tied closely to the heart. If you and I think on impure things, whether we act on it or not, the Bible says that sin and we are aborting, hindering the work of God in and through us. And so our minds, 
we're going to look next week, in the next couple of weeks, of how we need to place a guard around our minds, how we need to be aware that living the Christian life means resisting the thoughts that are not consistent with the Christian life. And then he moves in verse 24, saying, put on the new self. This self is like Jesus. It thinks rightly. It acts rightly. It's concerned about God's glory, the well-being of others. So we're to put off the old life, renew our minds, put on the new life. You know, February 1 is coming up quickly. It's known as Quitter's Day. That's the day people quit their New Year's resolutions. I think 68% or, or more resolutions are abandoned by February first. Some of you may be like me, you just don't make them, then you don't have to. But we're talking about more than a resolution here. In a resolution, we set a goal and then we set off in our own strength many times, and that's why we fail. In fact, the number one reason that people abandon their resolutions is a lack of self-discipline. But the beautiful thing God gives us a responsibility in the spiritual life. We're to be disciplined. We're to heed his word. We're to obey his word. But God doesn't just send us out there and say, okay, have at it. God has given us his spirit to equip us. And we have to yield to the spirit. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that sounds almost contradictory to Ephesians 2. Work out your own salvation. It's not saying that we work out our justification before God, but we are working in that sanctification. We're working with God. That's why God commands. Why does he give us a command if we don't have a responsibility in it? But God does not leave us alone in it because we cannot stop at that point in Philippians 2. Because Paul adds, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. We're saved by the grace of God through the blood of Christ shed for sin. And in this work of sanctification, God has placed his spirit so that we might reject that that characterized our old life before we knew Jesus. And we might live obediently and pleasing to God. That is the beautiful mystery of the sanctified life, the believer and God working, God working in the heart. We yielding to God and allowing him to work through us. I wonder this year, are you going to so cooperate with God in your life? May it be that people would look at us and say, that person used to be that, but now She's this. That person used to act that way, but now he acts this way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how you give us warning, you give us commands, you give us illustrations from the days of the early church, all that we might apply to our lives. Father, we thank you for those of us who are in Christ, that we have become a new creation created in you with the life of you in us. And following what Paul is saying, may we take very seriously, we separate ourselves from the things that would characterize the unbelieving life. Father, 
It's good sometimes to look back. But, Father, it's never good for the Christian to revert back to the base things of an unbelieving life. Father, as we go through next week and look at some of the specific areas, keep us mindful that outward conduct comes from the heart. And uh, so, Lord, inspect our hearts this week. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing here in just a moment.